Hello, and welcome to the Word on the Street podcast series, where we feature thought leaders and influencers of TIS. Today's podcast is with Errol Bozak, the CPO and co-founder of TIS. My name is Kate Pohl, and I'm a senior advisor to TIS. Our topic today is ISO 2022. So let's get technical. Errol, I'd like to begin by asking you just a little bit about your background. So maybe you could tell us a little bit as to how you got where you are today. Sure, thank you very much, Kate. Yeah, I'm Errol, co-founder and CPO of TIS. My background is basically I'm in this SaaS business since 20 years, more than 20 years actually. And I started my career in the, in the fields of logistics. And it's interesting that yeah, logistics and cash flow and payments have something similar. It's, a, it's about flow of things. Uh, in cash management, it's about flow of money and value. In logistics, it's about flow of goods. So there is a nice similarity. And uh, indeed, um, that's very uh, exciting uh, in, in, the, in the fields of SaaS and, and, and payments. This is a very interesting field. And my background is computer scientist, uh, MBA, and physicist um, and uh, really enjoying now these days the innovation power of uh, banking fintechs and payments great okay so uh, it sounds like you have a an interesting and unusual path but uh, you're right there up there in the flow of things and cash uh, and all others so let's get down to it um, deutsche banks christoph hoffmann Head of Corporate and Payment Solutions, explains the move to ISO 2022 as a, quote, major overhaul of the global payments infrastructure and one of the hot topics in the payments industry today, at least in the interbank space. So at first glance, it may seem that the consequences of these changes are limited to the interbank market. However, from my discussion with Jörg Beamer, uh, I know that TIS feels that enterprises will soon need to act if they wish to reap re rewards and or avoid issues. So first, uh, a quick recap regarding when banks will be mandated to migrate. Can you please remind us all of the timing? Yes, basically uh, between, uh, let's say 2025 uh, is the deadline for uh, the official, let's say migration for uh, the, the deadline and uh, where all financial institutions have to uh, be able to support this new uh, format. Uh, beginning of uh, 2022, SWIFT will fully support and accept or translate the ISO formats. Uh, so in between 2022 and 25, there will be kind of a migration time or yeah, so kind of coexistence period for both format types. Yeah, and I think that's gonna be a little tricky, but we'll get back to that. So, um... Has the process actually begun? Is everybody busy with this? Yeah, we see already major banks adopting it. Of course, uh, the adoption of ISO XML started, I think, quite some time. It's, it's years. I mean, when we founded TIS 10 years ago, we, we were already talking with our SEPA uh, migrations about ISO XML, of course, and many major banks had to support it. Now it becomes a global thing and uh, more and more, of course, banks adopt this. Uh, if you look at our format library, uh, already the majority of the formats we support are based on ISO XML. 
Okay, it sounds like you have a head start, but that too will come back to you, so that's great. So Errol, since late 19, or late, the late 1970s, and mm -hmm. I remember the 80s at least, because I was, uh, I was learning, teaching banks to, to speak SWIFT. Um, so we've been working with the MT, the FIN format, but this is gonna change now, as you just mentioned, and the new format is ISO 20022. So can you please tell us why this change was made? Why is this important? And um, yeah, why was it adopted now? Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's basically an ISO XML. Uh, we talk about XML. So in general, this format type, we're talking about the syntax more or less of this format. It's a very, let's say, common format, very flexible. Uh, it's uh, from a technical standpoint, it's easy to process. And uh, it's very versatile when it comes to new models to be reflected in such an XML. So XML is the key technology, and that's one thing. But then also the semantics, uh, so to speak, adopting this format to the banking world is also a key major uh, step towards standardization. And of course, the benefits is uh, it's, it's richer. It's uh, more fle flexible data usage. Uh, XML is adopted uh, everywhere. No, there is no system who, <laughs> who cannot support uh, XML. So XML is, so to speak, the core technology foundation to enable, it, enable that. And if you look at our at the old um, MT formats, not only that they were limited in space, it was also very, let's say, uh, strict and it's very static data sets. It's uh, it's not that flexible, and uh, that's that's basically one of the major differences between XML and MT formats about the flexibility of data and the richness, uh, so to speak, of the data set. Okay, so what you're saying is when we say richness, it's that more things can be said, expressed, more uh, detailed. Is that correct? Yes, of course, because in these days, you know, um, of course, due to regulatory requirements, compliance needs, more and more data is required. And I think the world, if you look at all the payments types that exist around the world, I don't know, I think the last number I've heard is somewhere around 100,000 of different payment types. So all these payment types have different requirements when it comes to data. And uh, to all reflect all this, you need to have flexibility, right? And uh, and richness and um, yeah so on one hand it's the heterogeneity so to speak uh, of uh, of that space plus uh, new requirements coming up from the regulatory space plus of course innovation because um, new uh, capabilities uh, digitalization require new uh, capabilities and this is also something that uh, the banking industry would, would like to adopt uh, in their in their technology yes Okay, so this can be built on top of it, but uh, um, let me just ask you, can this migration really be compared to the SEPA migration? Is it very much the same or would you characterize it differently? I mean, SEPA was, first of all, uh, very Europe specific, right? So it's a European Union thing. And uh, now we are talking about the global adoption. Yeah, globally, we're really talking about the global thing. And, uh, and it's uh, from that sense also quite challenging because we're talking about different uh, regulatory uh, environments, uh, countries, um, uh, laws, um, it's completely different. 
Okay, so this is really affecting everyone and no one can hide from this change, if you will. So if I hear you correctly. Absolutely. Okay. Can we expect uh, ERPs to, to support or provide support here, such as SAP? Is that something that's happening or not? I think uh, ERPs are already to, to a certain extent supporting these new formats. Um, and uh, not only in ERP system vendors, but of course payment systems like uh, or payment hubs like TIS are supporting it. Um, the question is not whether they have been already supported. The question is how wide it can be it can be adopted, and, uh, and also specifically about the data. Uh, is the data available uh, in order to um, basically process that particular payment type for a particular country, the particular bank? And this is actually the major challenging thing. And uh, um, yeah, so SAP, as an example, as you said, already supports today. However, it's something um, usually the customers have to provide. So um, it's an, usually an implementation project to adopting all these um, format specifications. Okay. As so often it is. Okay, what is what would you say the real difference is between MT and ISO XML uh, 2022? And I mean now get a little bit techie, so down to more detail. What would you characterize as the difference? Um, as I said, uh, ISO XML, the foundation, technology foundation is XML as the core language um, and, and very versatile. So, there is not, uh, let's say it's more or less a meta language on top of which now we create a, a kind of a payment model. And uh, so the flexibility, it's the, uh, the possibility to be used, um, let's say, um, in, in a flexible way, like data, uh, richness of the data, mandatory fields, conditional fields, fields that are somehow interlinked uh, and and then the news, the good thing about that is also it comes with a specification, which is also an XML. So technically, uh, MT formats were just specified <laughs> in, a, in a document, but in the ISO XML, you have more or less the technical specification is somehow also written in an XML. So this um, uh, specification like XSD, as an example, uh, provides already the meta information, what the meaning of a field is. So from a pure processing perspective, it's easier, flexible, more flexible, and it's widely adopted. Okay, understood. Um, one of the things that I've discussed with others, and I want to pose this to you as well, is this, the whole mapping question. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, as I understand it, it's not just a matter of mapping sort of the old to the new, but since the richness is there, you also have a question of what do you do with the unused fields in ISO uh, 2022? So do you, have, uh, do you have some thoughts there? What are the issues? Yeah, I mean, at the end, uh, MT formats are limited. XML formats are richer. So there are, let's say, at least a kind of lost in translation syndrome, <laughs> let's say it like this, that uh, you have now two languages and uh, both may speak the same, but um, uh, but it does not fit everywhere. So even the truncation of information is a key problem. Huh? And um, this is, of course, a very logical major issue when it comes to translating MT to XML formats because MT is limited and there's some uh, a larger set of data. So we need to assess now 
uh, how to set up uh, these uh, fields which are not presented in the MT format, as an example. That's one problem. On the other hand, if you translate from XML to MT, now you have something which is richer. How do you now squeeze it in into a, uh, let's say, more restricted um, uh, fields or, let's say, data set? Uh, and then, of course, it's about guessing, and, and you have not 100% translation, but kind of 80%, 60%, I don't know. And it's, this, this is the main, main issue, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, when, when we're looking at this and, you know, understanding richness is, is obviously a, a key component, but we still have to decide, you know, what, what happens. So is there one authority who actually decides how these fields will be used or ordered? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it's not only my thought, it's just fact <laughs> that there is a CGI MP industry group. Um, it's a forum um, and basically a catalyst uh, for change, uh, aiming to achieve a common global implementation uh, of that ISO format. And uh, it's a close collaboration between, I think, 50 members uh, and banks uh, in different uh, regions in this world. And they basically define these um, semantics. Uh, what uh, what comes into that ISO XML format? Um, but there is um, this is in the hands of the banks and the local regulators, of course, uh, and policymakers or government. Uh, however, there are no universal rules, so there is no let's say one uh, decision point, uh, so to speak, for for making this happen. That's probably one of the key uh, issues also of the standard that there are so many uh, talking about that. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I also see that as going to be one of the problems. I know the standard body or the, um, you know, as you mentioned, CGIMP is trying to um, suggest uh, consistency that all are trying to adhere to, but I'm sure we'll have some different flavors. So the, I think the important question also knowing what TIS does and, and some of your USPs, but what if a bank decides to continue supporting the legacy formats um, past the conversion deadline? Um, what happens then? Like it happened in Zipa, uh, they have to offer a migration, let's say a conversion service uh, uh, for the incoming payment uh, and the outgoing balance and transaction uh, information. So that's actually the only thing that they can uh, do. Yeah, I, uh, do you see do you see that um, this will also provide, let's say, impetus or work for other uh, players? Do you think we'll have a, a, a whole set of new players cropping up to take, take over that conversion service? Um, again, I see a lot of similarities in the CPAL migration. Uh, there are some pro providers who offer these translation services, banks offer translation services. Of course, these services are not for free. <laughs> and uh, still the main issue will, is, will be that uh, the data is, uh, still needs to be enhanced. So it's not a pure translation. I think in many cases this is possible, but in some cases uh, due to missing information uh, in the let's say source format, uh, this translation service will make not any sense at the end because you're missing information. Um, so I think that there will be a market for that services, translation services, um, like we have seen also in uh, uh, eight, nine years ago about SIPA, the same. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, some, some breadth for uh, new players, but uh, somewhat limited as well. 
Okay. So what you're saying is not only large companies are now going to have to worry about what, um, I guess, what TIS looks at every day, which is the complexity of multiple systems, multiple connections, multiple banks, but now they're going to have to worry about all the new formats. Is that the way you see it as well? Yes, sure. I mean, at the end, um, it depends on your payment infrastructure and architecture. Uh, and uh, if um, you have multiple ERP systems and now you have to adopt in all those ERP systems your payment uh, formats, then it becomes a tricky thing. Yeah. And uh, not only that, I think also that that's one issue. Uh, about that's one challenge yeah so that you make sure that your source systems are able to um, to provide this 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 format but at the other hand uh, we have seen also a lot of legacy systems systems which are basically not able to provide additional information which is being expected from uh, let's say uh, from the payment uh, formats or let's say from the regulatory requirements perspective these are very old uh, legacy systems. Uh, I think many of you in the US market, we have seen a lot. So in that case, uh, this becomes a really challenge. It's then not only providing translation services, but probably it will lead to migrating your whole ERP system because this ERP system does not support, support the process at the end. Yeah. Okay, so you know we talked about multiple formats and how that's really going to be a challenge for corporates going forward. Understand that, but are there additional challenges? Are there additional things they need to be aware of or have to take care of? What do you think, Errol? Yes, uh, indeed. Um, ISO comes with um, compliance changes, actually, as well as regulatory reporting changes. And uh, this is due to the fact that uh, the, the regulatory bodies require more data uh, and they have new requirements, uh, to, for instance, to be collected for the counterparties yeah, uh, due to money laundering reasons and all this. Uh, operational impacts due to change of format and content of data, as I said also in the beginning, um, conversion from the legacy um, data to the new formats, backward compatibility issues, et cetera, et cetera. So quite uh, a complex undertaking actually uh, for the corporates. So this, um, yeah, so I think these are the main challenges. Understood. Uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about is really the timing. Um, so when we think about the fact that everyone's changing at a different time, that really scares me a lot. I, I'm assuming that's something you're thinking about as well. And to make it very specific, what about, you know, we've mentioned banks and corporates, but we really haven't talk, talked about systems providers. So will this be a challenge as well for them and their corporate clients if everybody's changing at a different time? Yeah, of course, this becomes again a challenge if there are different times uh, for supporting it. There are so many banks outside, not only the bank's adoption will be different, the adoption uh, of these formats within the ERP systems, uh, vendors uh, who support payments or uh, provide payments hub or uh, in treasury uh, systems vendors and all this, they have their, of course, their own timings and um, this will converge maybe latest <laughs> 2025. But in between then you have to work uh, in a, let's say, very versatile and very heterogeneous environment, so to speak. Uh, and this is this is also one of the key challenges, of course, uh, this complete migration 
And here, the key um, requirement, or let's say the key, let's say success factor, I would say is to become independent of that migration. And of course, you can set up your environment in such a way so these type of changes does not impact you that much. And uh, this is, of course, something we probably will discuss later. Uh, if you have to uh, support all these changes uh, in your local systems and uh, your ERP systems and so on and so forth, then uh, you have, of course, the effort uh, multiple times, uh, different technologies, different versions. And the question is, how can you shield that uh, internal world from the outside world so these type of migrations can be done in a much easier and 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 and, um, and let's say cost-effective way. Okay, I think that's a great lead-in to to basically one of the last questions that I want to pose to you. And you know, you talked about shielding the you know the internal world and really creating an independence so that you're not buffeted by every change that goes on. So how can TIS help there? What what can you guys do that will help the corporate client go through this change in a much more or a much easier and cost-effective way? Well, I think it's in the uh, it's in the architecture, it's in the in the concept uh, how you set up your environment, and I think there are many buzzwords which are really related to that. It's about, for instance, best of breed is a very important aspect. Um, the, the beauty of payments is this is and let's say a environment, let's say a process where you can basically outsource or where you can bring it out of your ERP systems. Usually, ERP systems are focused on accounting processes, handling invoices, creating the payment instructions. That's basically their main, um, uh, let's say, um, focus. And when it comes to payments, you can bring it out and, and there's already messages, which is the ISO XML, right? So if you are able to uh, set up your environment such a way that payment information or paying someone becomes not a local ERP dependent thing, then you set up your environment in a very flexible way. You can shield yourself from the complexities that uh, exist outside, which means regulatory changes like ISO XML, but also you change the banks, suddenly you have to change, for instance, your bank. Uh, and uh, maybe it's like you, the, the three risk bank uh, work with ISO XML, but the new bank <laughs> does not support in that environment because your business needs this particular bank in that specific country. So you basically downgrade. And how do you do then this? So this complexity, the outside complexity, you can shield. And then, of course, the inside complexity, it's about uh, the different ERP uh, systems you might have. And bringing it outside and providing it within a hub is the best way of doing it. And that's what, what TIS does since the beginning. right? Uh, with our APO story, Enterprise Payment Optimization, we uh, create a layer where this harmonization can happen. And let's say, uh, bring all purchase to pay processes uh, in, in, let's say, in a much more flexible way and, and reduce complexity um, and costs. <laughs> well, I love the idea of reducing complexity and costs and especially being able to outsource the process to an expert. So I think that's a, that's a great way to describe what TAS does. And uh, thank you for that. Um, Okay, I think that's I think that's very clear. I think we're a lot clearer now on the, the technical consequences of the move from ISO twenty zero twenty two for for corporate enterprises, and you know it's 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 clear that um, 
TIS can actually remove some of that complexity and allow corporates to outsource it to them. But when you think about it, are there any final thoughts or tips or tricks for our listeners, uh, Errol? Yeah, of course. Um, Actually, there is no time to wait. And uh, the time is coming where this migration uh, will happen. It will be a fact. And preparing yourself uh, for that um, needs time. So it's better act now than to be too late. Uh, And there is only reaction. So you can be proactive now. Absolutely. Okay. So the watchword of today is don't wait, act now, be proactive, uh, because this is a subject that everyone's going to have to deal with, whether you're a corporate, a bank, a systems provider, et cetera. Um, ISO 2022 is coming and uh, don't try to avoid it. Embrace it. (laughs) Okay. Thanks so much, Errol. And thanks to all of you who are listening. And that was the word on the street. Bye-bye for now.